0: we welcome you to the Tabernacle podcast brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, probably a verse you could quote. And this is Missions Emphasis Month, so you're probably going to hear this verse a lot uh, this month. You're going to hear it from probably several different preachers. But I hope that I can present it to you in a way tonight to really help you understand what you personally are supposed to do when it comes to missions. Acts chapter 1, and verse 8, if you're there, the Scripture says this, "...but ye shall receive power." Now, that's a very personal appointment there. It says, "...but ye..." That's talking about you. Now, Jesus certainly was talking to His disciples... This was he was standing on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. It was after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. Jesus was now getting ready to ascend into heaven. And he said, now, hey, I've got something for you to do. And he was not saying that just to his disciples. He was saying that to every Christian down through the ages. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and in the uttermost part of the earth. Now, all my life, I have uh, been involved in churches that are great mission-minded churches. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. My dad was on staff there at a large church and a very, very mission-minded church. In fact, several uh, people that I, young people that I grew up with are missionaries now on the field and are very involved in missions. And I've heard this verse preached on, I don't know, uh, hundreds of times perhaps, and I've heard this illustration with it perhaps as many times. They would say what this scripture says is that as a Christian, you are responsible, and the church is responsible, first of all, to reach those in Jerusalem. That is your hometown where you live. You live in Hickory. You live in Conover. Uh, you live in um, uh, uh, Vale, or you live in where I live, a little place called Iron Station. Nobody knows where Iron Station is, but that's where I live, all right, down by Denver. In fact, if you cross 73 Denver by the church there, that's Iron Station. That's where I live. Uh, You're responsible to reach people in your hometown, Then they would say. And then you're responsible to reach people in Judea. That's like your state, the state of North Carolina. How many have heard this before? Come on now. You've heard it. And then they would say, then it's like your uh, country, the country of Samaria. And uh, so this would be the country of the United States and then under the most part of the earth. Well, I began to really study that out and I found out, wait a minute, they... They made just a little error there let me see if i can explain it a different way and see if you don't understand it okay first of all it says that we're to go to jerusalem that's our hometown i agree with that everybody needs to reach people where you live you need to start at home then it says in judea but judea was the country of the jews so that would be like the united states of america we're to reach our nation with the gospel of jesus christ and then it says in samaria Samaria was the enemy of the Jews. The Samaritans and the Jews hated one another. Well, I would say a Jew to go through Samaria was one of the worst things you could ever do. They would stay as far away from it as they could, and they didn't like the Samaritans to come in to Judea either. They hated one another. And I think what Jesus was telling his disciples is simply this. You're responsible to reach people even in places where you would not or could not go. So we're still responsible to reach people in Cuba, in places where we cannot go, in Myanmar, where we cannot go, in Malawi, where many people will not go. We're still responsible to reach people in those places around the world. So that brings us to the point of what then is your personal responsibility? What is it that you are to do to help carry forth missions into the world? Well, I'm going to give you four simple things tonight, all right? I don't have anything complicated. Probably nothing you've ever heard. You've heard this before, but you've just never it's never been put together this way, all right? So I'm going to give them to you. One, two, three, four. You get them and we'll go home, all right? Number one, your first and foremost responsibility is simply this. Make sure that you are saved. Make sure that you are saved. Do you know for sure tonight that you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? I talk to people all the time. And I ask him, do you know for sure that you're safe? If you died tonight, do you know that you go to heaven? Well, I do a lot of good things. I go to church every Sunday. I read my Bible. I, hey, listen, I pray every day. But was there, has there been a time in your life when you knew that you were a sinner and you knew you needed salvation and you got on your knees and you prayed and accepted Christ as your Savior? Well, Brother Marshall, I've just been good all my life. I've always, I've always been a church member. I've always been a good person. But do you know for sure that you're saved? Dr. Lee Robertson, who I loved, I was trained under him at Tennessee Temple University. He preached all over this nation, many places around the world. Dr. Lee Robertson once made this statement. He said he felt like that more than 50% of church members had never really accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. In some churches, I believe that. You put on a good face, you hold your Bible up, you sing the songs, you know the scripture, you know what to do, how to act, how to dress, but do you know for sure that you're saved? When I was younger, I said, my dad, of course, worked at a large church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we lived just around the corner from that church about a mile away. And my dad, and we were always at the church, Uh, my dad directed the music, the children's ministries, and so on, did a great work there, and, uh, but we were always, I've got an older sister and a younger brother, we were always at church. So it was kind of natural for us, when we came home, we played church. We went down in the basement of our home and we set up some makeshift pews, you know, with some concrete blocks and some 2 or whatever, and we found an old crate that we dressed up, made it look like a pulpit so we could stand behind it, and we got a big, long cardboard box and we drew keys on it like a piano, so we'd have a piano. And we went out in the neighborhood and we compelled our friends to come in. Said, you're going to church. Come on, buddy. And we drug them in there. We'd make them sit in the pew. I would I would direct the music. I knew how to wave my arms, you know, and how to make it work just right. And I'd do that to copy what my dad would do on Sunday morning. And I'd make them sing. My sister sit there when she'd bang on that box like she's playing the piano, man. She'd let it go. And then my brother would get up, he'd preach. Now, my brother is younger than I am, but he's redheaded. He's hotheaded. And he could be preached some message. He'd heard some guy preach before in church, you know, and he'd let them have it. And when it was all said and done, we'll make them all come down and get right with God. <laughs> Problem was, we were playing church. Sad to say, there's a lot of people in church today doing exactly the same thing. They show up. They go through the motions. Mom and Dad always did it. It's just what's expected of us. It's what we do. But they've never really accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. The Bible says in Matthew 16, 26, For what is what has it profited a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And many times we use that scripture to illustrate how, what a tragedy it would be that someone uh, would live their life without Christ and have everything this world could offer, the money and the pleasures and all the things this world could offer, and die and go to hell. But the truth is Jesus Christ here was preaching to a religious crowd. And I think what he was saying, what a greater tragedy it would be that someone would come to church and go through the motions and learn scriptures and sing songs and look like they know what they're doing, but they never accept Christ as Savior and they die and go to hell. And so many people are in that state, and yet they know they're lost. And they're too embarrassed to come and get saved. Where are you at tonight? Do you know for sure that you're saved? You know, the Bible tells us we can know. We can settle that in our heart. We don't have to worry or fret. We don't have to hope so. We don't have to think so. We can know that we've accepted Christ as Savior. And we can know that He lives in our heart. And we are on our way to heaven. Have you done that tonight? Make sure that you are saved. Secondly, your uh, responsibility to missions is simply this: make sure that your family is saved. Make sure that your family is saved. Second Peter chapter three verse nine: The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, talking about His second coming, as some encounter slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That all includes every member of your family. God wants your family together in heaven someday. I preach on the family many times in uh, different conferences and revival meetings that we have. And one of the things that has impressed me most is the fact I've learned the only thing, the only earthly possession you can take to heaven with you is your children and your family. You won't take your cars or your homes or your fancy clothes or all the niceties you have, but you can take your children if you lead them to Christ. You can take your aunts and uncles and your nieces and nephews and your mom and dad and your in-laws and your out- I mean, not outlaws, but you can take the rest of them to heaven if you want to, if you can lead them to Christ. You need to do everything you can to lead, your, to lead your family to Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you here are what we would consider first-generation Christians. You're the first one in your family and of your generation to accept Christ. What are you doing to reach the rest of your family for Jesus Christ? Now, Jesus was interested in families. We know he was interested in individuals. In John chapter 3, he went to see Nicodemus on the rooftop. In John chapter 4, he went to the well and saw the woman at the well and led her to Christ. But we also see in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus was interested in families. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus went to the city of Jericho. And there was a man there in Jericho who was short of stature. He was uh, uh, small for his, uh, uh, He was smaller than most people in town probably. And, uh, but nobody liked him. He was a tax collector. But Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And as Jesus was walking through that town, nobody would let Zacchaeus through to see Jesus. He tried to make his way through the crowd. Perhaps everybody pushed, well, Come on, Zacchaeus. No, Jesus wouldn't want to see you. You're a wicked man. You're evil. Just get out of here. Jesus wouldn't want to see you. And so Zacchaeus runs down the street, climbs up in a tree that he used to climb in as a kid. He got up in that sycamore tree, and he began to watch as Jesus came closer down that road. And the Bible says that Jesus got under that tree. He stopped and looked up and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Now, don't you agree with me that Jesus could have saved Zacchaeus sitting in that tree? Man, what a story that would have been, right? Uh, Don't you agree that Jesus could have saved Zacchaeus as he came down out of the tree? Sure he could. But Jesus said, you know what? He's got a family at home, and that whole family needs to hear about Jesus. And so Zacchaeus and Jesus walked down the street of Jericho that day, and they went into the home of Zacchaeus, And perhaps there was little Zacchaeus running all over the place. and Mrs. Zacchaeus probably began to fix up a good meal. And in came all the family that Zacchaeus had, aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews and cousins and all kind of relatives and in-laws came in as well. Man, that place was packed full of Zacchaeus people and Zacchaeus family. And Jesus that day began to witness to them and tell them why he came. And when he left that home that day, this is what he said. This day is salvation come to this house. That family got saved that day. And Jesus is just as interested in your family receiving Christ as Savior. You need to do everything you can to reach your family with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many years ago, my goodness, this has to be uh, close to 35 years ago now, we began attending a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, Harbor Rapture. Talisa went there, was in my children's ministries, and told me tonight she still has the Bible that I gave her when she was younger. But um, there was a lady in that church, about the same age as my wife and I, and they had children about the same age as our children. And she came to me. Her name was Cindy Barnhill. You might remember Cindy Barnhill. She came and said, Brother Marshall said, my husband is not saved. And I sure do want him to be saved. Would you come to my home and would you witness to him? I'd noticed Cindy praying at the altar and weeping. And then she was praying for her husband. Her children would come. And, pray and weep for Randy to be saved and I said I'll be glad to come and witness to him and so the time was arranged I believe it was a Saturday morning I went to their home and I knocked on the door and Randy came to the door very nice very pleasant we began to talk and found out we had a few things in common he said well come on in I said well you know why I'm here right oh yes and he told me you were coming he said come on in and we can talk together and so I went in and we talked a little further and I said, now Randy, I came to present the gospel to you. Oh yeah, he said, you do whatever you want to do. And I began to go through the scripture and I said, now Randy, the Bible says that everyone is a sinner and we're all lost without Christ and we're headed to hell. Oh, he said, yeah, I know that. <laughs> he said, I'm, I'm not good by any means. He said, I've done a lot of bad things in my life. I said, all right, now Randy, the Bible says because we are sinners, there's a punishment and that punishment's hell. He, oh, he said, yeah, I'll probably go to hell when I die. He said, some of the things I've done, Jesus wouldn't let me into heaven. I said, well, Randy, the Bible says that Jesus loves you. And he cares about it. Oh, I've heard that all my life. I said, he loves you so much that he died on the cross. And he shed his blood so your sin could be forgiven and you go to heaven. Oh, he said, yeah, I've heard that. He said, I used to go to church when I was younger. I've heard all about that. I said, well, Randy, would you like to receive Christ today? And he looked me right in the eye and he said, no. I said, why not? You just agreed with everything i said I, I i did my best to try to convince him i just pulled out every scripture i knew and randy just sit there and said no i won't get saved i'm enjoying my life i'm doing what i want to do and i'm not going to get saved well that started uh just a new venture in my life of trying to reach randy with the gospel his wife and children were still praying for him every sunday they were very concerned about him but randy almost became like family to me i wanted to reach him with the gospel and so I began to just show up when Randy didn't know I was coming. I'd plan every other week or so I'd find him somewhere and I'd begin to pre- present the gospel to him. It got to be that when Randy saw me coming, he'd run from me. He didn't want to see me. This happened one Saturday morning. It's the honest truth. I knocked on the door of their home. It had a big plate glass window in the front and I could look into the home. Randy was crawling out the bathroom window. So when his wife would come to the door, she'd say, I can't find him. I don't know where he is. He's not here right now. Randy didn't want to be around me because he knew I'd preach the gospel to him. The last time I witnessed to Randy was, a I think it was a Thursday night. I went to his home unannounced. just showed up. I said, Randy, let's go get some ice cream. He loved ice cream. We went and sat down for two hours. I took the Bible. I answered every question he had. I pled with him to receive Christ. He finally took the Bible out of my hand. He said, "Taru," he said, I don't even believe all this stuff. He said, just a bunch of fairy tales to me. I don't, he said, just leave me alone. I don't want to get saved. I don't believe in this stuff. My heart was broken. Cindy's heart was broken. She wanted Randy to be saved. About three or four months went by, and Randy called me one day. I happened to be in town. I was in my office. He said, Brother Marshall, he said, I need help. I said, Randy, what's wrong? He said, man, I'm messed up. He said, I've gotten in some drugs. I've gotten in some bad stuff. He said, and the drugs are going to kill me. He said, I need help. I said, Randy, come see me. I'll do what I can. Randy came to my office, and again, I witnessed to him. And he said, I'm not ready. He said, all he could think about was the drugs. It messed him up. He said, I've got to get some help. I said, well, Randy, I'll get you some help, but you know, it's going to be in a Christian reel. About it. He said, I don't care. Just whatever. Get me some help. I found a place that would take him. We got him a bus ticket and got him there. I believe he was there about three months when he called me one night and said, Brother Marshall, I want to let you know I got saved. God changed his life. A couple months later, he graduated, came home. Man, things were changed. Randy was different. He began to follow me around and he was all the time working with me. It was right about the time we were starting Now Ministries uh, that this happened, and I was having to build a new office in the church there and expand what I had and so on. And Randy was a builder and a painter, and he'd come help me and he'd paint. And, He'd help me build stuff, and all the time he's doing it, he'd be asking me, now, Brother Marshall, I was reading my Bible today, and and the Bible said this. Tell me what that means. I didn't quite understand that. And I'd try my best to explain it to him, and I'd go through, and what, man, I could remember from Bible college, you know, I'd try to help him with that. Next day, he'd have something different. He said, now, Brother Marshall, what does this mean over here? He said, I didn't quite understand these few words there. What does that mean? I'd I'd try to explain it to him, try to help him out. And it finally got to where, where, when I saw Randy coming, I'd run from him. I just couldn't answer all his questions. But God changed his life. We prayed for Randy for 18 years. You don't stop. You don't give up. Make sure your family is saved. Reach your family the best you know how. All right, number three. We're going to move on here. Trying to get it finished. Make sure your neighbor is saved. You see where this is going now? You're reaching out, those who live beside you, around you, around the block, people you come in contact with. Well, Brother Marshall, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 10, there was a lawyer who asked Jesus almost the same question. The lawyer was asking Jesus about getting to heaven and so on, and Jesus said, hey, you're a pretty smart guy. What does the Bible say? Well, he gave a very Jewish answer. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart the soul, the mind, uh, everything you have, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, Man, you know the Scripture. He said, Just go do what the Scripture says. It tells you how to get saved. And the lawyer wanting to trick Jesus said, Hey, but wait a minute. Who is my neighbor? Boy, that was a loaded question. But Jesus, I think, maybe in the back of his mind said, Hmm, thanks for asking. I'm going to tell you. And he began to give the story, the little illustration or the parable of the good Samaritan. You know the story, don't you? There was a Jew who uh, was going to market to sell his goods so he could feed his family and so on. And while he was on his way, the Bible says he fell among thieves. That simply means, boy, they jumped him. They robbed him, took everything he had, beat him till he was about dead. Even took his clothes and rolled him over in the ditch and said he'll die there before anybody else finds him. Bible talks about how the, along came several different people. First of all, along came the priest. Now, he's the religious man. He's a preacher. He's an evangelist. He's a missionary. Someone who's been trained in the gospel and trained in the scriptures, knows what to do to help people. And the Bible says he looked at that man over there in the ditch. He says, you know, I just don't have time for that today. He said, I get my robe all bloody and messed up. He said, probably the guy's dead anyway, and there's not a thing I can do for him. I think I'll just have to let it go. And he walked by on the other side. Then the Bible says along came a Levite. I would equate that to someone as a, maybe a Sunday school teacher, a layman in the church, a bus worker, or maybe a Sunday a, a school teacher, What somebody who knows the gospel and knows what to do, and the Levite came by and said, you know what, <laughs> I just don't have time for this today. In fact, the Bible says the Levite even looked on him. I think maybe he went over and said, hey, guy, you all right? And when the guy didn't respond very much, he says, no, I just don't have time for this today. I can't can't deal with this, I, I just get too messed up, I've got business meetings, I've got to go, and he walked by on the other side. Then the Bible said along came the Samaritan, now remember who the Samaritans were? They were the enemy of the Jews. And along came the Samaritan, and he saw that man in the ditch, the man who supposedly his enemy, the Jew, but the Bible says he had compassion on him. And he picked him up out of that ditch and he wrapped him in his own clothes and he put him on his donkey and he took him to a place where he could get help and got his bandages wrapped up and got the medicines that he needed and got some food into him. And the Bible says he paid the entire bill. And when he left the next morning, he said, if there's any more owed when I return, he said, I'll pay that as well. Then Jesus looked at that crowd of Jews and said, Now you tell me who is the neighbor of the one in the ditch? Now, how does that apply to you today? Well, simply this. All around us, there are people that are bloodied and dirty and beaten and ruined and destroyed, depressed, and giving up because of sin. Sin has ravaged their life, sin has destroyed them. They don't know which way to turn. It might not look like that on the outside, but on the inside, there's turmoil. There's chaos, and they don't know where to turn. And what they need is Jesus Christ. You have the answer. What are you going to do to help them out? The Bible says those who you come across, who you know are in need of Christ, anybody that comes across your path that's in need of hearing of Jesus Christ, you have the responsibility to tell them of Jesus Christ and give them the answer for their great need. Our neighbor is anyone we come in contact with who needs Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I, like I said I've been in evangelism for over forty years. I've been in church all my life. I grew up in church. I was. In, I, one of the guys say this. It's not original with me. So one guy said I was in church nine months before I was born, and that's where I was. I mean, I've always been in church. My mom and dad have always been in church. I mean, my dad became an, after uh, uh, resigning from the church there in Charlotte became an evangelist. And we traveled, I was in church every night. Every night somewhere I was in church. And then when I went into evangelism, uh, my little girls, I raised them, they were in church every night somewhere. There were times we were, uh, I preached in 70 uh, to 80 churches a year. Many of those, uh, well, about half of those being revival meetings or children's type week meetings and then preaching on Sunday night and Wednesday night and other places. I've always been in church. And I began to evaluate one day, you know, everybody I know is saved. Everybody in my family is saved. Everybody in my wife's family is saved. All my friends are saved. Everywhere I turn around, they're all saved. I don't have anybody that's lost. And I said, you know, I don't want to do something different so I can reach people with the gospel. So I got involved in a little activity that to me just was fun. It's called Cowboy Action Shooting. Anybody ever heard of Cowboy Action Shooting? Some of you have. It is a, it, actually they claim still it is the fastest growing gun sport in America it is a, uh, an activity or a gun sport uh, to keep the old west alive. Uh, we dress like cowboys. We shoot single-action revolvers, lever-action rifles, double-barrel shotguns. Uh, we shoot live ammo at steel targets. It's the most fun you can have. I mean, it's just exciting. It's fun. And I got into that. I love guns, and I love cowboys, and I did that, and I began to come across people that weren't saved. Well, I got, began to get a little pretty good at the sport, and I, I enjoyed it. And uh, they asked me one year, some of the shooters around here where we shoot, they said, are you going to come the, to the state championships? I said, no. I said, you shoot on Saturday and Sunday, and I don't shoot on Sunday. I'll shoot on Saturday, but I don't shoot on Sunday. Oh, Brother Marshall, no, no, no. We shoot on Friday and Saturday. We just have the awards on Sunday. I said, okay. Well, that might work out okay. Oh, they said, by the way, said before the awards, we always have cowboy church. Oh, I said, okay. Well, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, I said, who preaches? They said, well, that's the problem. We don't have a preacher. Would you preach for us?" I said, absolutely. They didn't know what they were getting. <laughs> and that first year we went and I, man, I made it big. I got as many people as I could to come and we had, I think it was like 14 or 15 people saved that Sunday Amen. at Cowboy Church out in the middle of a field shooting guns. It was the greatest thing i ever done in my life. I was having so much fun and I got better and better and finally became state champion. In my category, for the last 10 years, I've been the state champion, B Western champion of North Carolina. Uh, just in March this last year of this year, I won a world championship out in Phoenix, Arizona. And so that's afforded me. People started calling me, "Hey, would you come to our cowboy church? Would you come to our cowboy church?" We heard about what you did. Would you come to it? And we've had hundreds of people saved across different states preaching cowboy churches. I preached at the national championship several years ago and had a tremendous time, had people saved. Uh, they've opened the door this year, or 2023. Uh, it looks like they're going to give me the opportunity to preach at the World Championships in Phoenix, Arizona, getting people saved. But you know what I noticed? I'd get people saved there, and I'd have certain people come, and now it's getting where about, I've reached about everybody that's going to come to the church and don't have as many saved. We still have some, but not as many as we did at first when we started. But yet there were a lot of people that wouldn't come to the Cowboy Church and my heart was broken, I wanted to reach them. And I said, Lord, how can I do it? I tried tracks, they wouldn't look at them. They'd throw them down, they, wouldn't, they didn't want to take them. Now they're good people. They're God-fearing, they say. They love guns, God and country. You know that mantra, don't you? But they don't want to hear anything about Christ. They don't want to hear about salvation. So I said, Lord, you've got to help me with something. And so uh, one day I came up with an idea and I, I took uh, Will, Roy Rogers, Cowboy prayer and put it on the front of the card. I got permission from Roy Rogers Jr. to do that. In fact, I met him and have shot with him. He also shoots cowboy action shooting, and he gave us permission to do this. And then on the back, I put the gospel. And I started giving these out. Man, they were gobbling those things up. Everybody wanted one. And I've got one that's another type. I've got about four or five different of these that I can give out. Everybody's got them. They put them in the national championships, they put them in all the packets. They put them in the world championships. They put them in all the packets. Over 800 shooters at the world championships, and every year they put these in the packet so everybody gets one. And people started getting saved. I'd said that just to simply say this. You can reach somebody if you really want to. You can find a way to do it. Give them a track. Give a testimony. Invite them to church. Watch a video with them about Christ, about salvation. There's many ways you can do it if you want to. The problem is a lot of us just don't want to. And we let people go by. We miss all kind of opportunities to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make sure you're saved. Make sure your family's saved. Make sure your neighbor's saved. And then last, make sure the world knows about Jesus. Say, Brother Marshall, that's, that's a tall one there. That's... That's pretty tough. How are we going to do that? Well, the preacher already told you tonight. Once not you give to missions through your faith promise? That's how this church reaches out and sends the gospel around the world. But there's another way. Pray. Every Christian needs to pray. Every Christian can pray for missions. Doesn't cost you a dime to pray for Christians, for for missions, and for people to be saved around the world. Everybody. Can pray. By the way, that reminds me, I should have said this earlier. In the back, there's a table. It has materials on it. You can take it. We'll learn more about our ministry. On the sign, there's a little QR code. If you want to know how to pray for missions and pray for now ministries especially, click that QR code, and we'll send you every month a prayer list. Not a letter, but a prayer list of all the different needs of these pastors around the world. And you can pray for these people. Everybody needs to hear the name of Jesus. Several years ago, I was in Cambodia. We were preaching across the country. I had another evangelist with me, and every day we'd go to three or four different little villages or cities where sometimes the gospel had never been preached. There were no churches in those areas. We had a group of uh, Cambodian Bible College students that were going with us, and they would go ahead and they would set up a sound system and they would set some chairs up or whatever they could find in that village to set up. Then they would go out in that village and they would just start bringing people in. Hey, there's some Americans are coming. Hey, Americans are coming. They're going to they're gonna have something for you. Come hear what they have to say. And they'd get a crowd for us. Sometimes the crowd would be 30 or 40 people. Sometimes the crowd would be as high as five or 600 people, it just depended on where we were. We did that every day for about 10 days preaching across Cambodia. Preached in all but I think two provinces of Cambodia. One morning it was my opportunity, it was my turn to preach and we went to a little place and probably some of the poorest people I've ever met, they literally lived in cardboard boxes. They didn't have homes. They'd been displaced because of a fire that was in the city of Phnom Penh. The place where they lived there had been burned out and the the government decided they would not rebuild it, so they just shipped them out here and left them in the middle of nowhere. No jobs, no food, Uh, basically the clothes that were on their back, and they had gone to the dump and gotten cardboard boxes and tried to make a home the best they could. There were about 300 people there that day, and uh, the Pablo College students sang a few songs and kind of got them ready, and then they introduced me to come and preach. It was my turn to preach. And I stood up that day, and I asked a question. I had never done this before, and I don't know why I did it that day, but I did. I simply said, how many here have ever heard the name of Jesus? One person in that crowd raised their hand. Other than the Bible college students and the other evangelists and preachers that were with us, only one person raised their hand. And I said to myself, now what you going to do? <laughs> how do you preach Jesus? People never even heard of Jesus before. And the only thing I knew to do, I looked behind me, honestly, Pastor, I looked over my right shoulder, and I said, across the street there was a shop where they were actually carving and making idols. Buddhism is huge in Cambodia, and they've got hundreds of gods. And they were actually carving. One guy up there with a the chisel, with a stone, carving a god out of stone. There were some others working with wood and different things. And I, I said, you know, you've got many different gods in Cambodia. But I want to tell you about the one true god a God that actually lives and loves you. And I just started at the story of creation and how that God created the world. They have a very similar story in Buddhism. So it paralleled and they began to understand where who God was and what he did when he created the world. And then I explained about how that man fell and sin came into the world and what sin was all about. And boy, you could see, boy, they had all sinned. They knew that. And then I explained who Jesus was and why he came. And that day, more than 200 people responded and came to receive Christ as Savior that day. Some of the college students that were with us that were uh, nearing graduation said, Brother Marshall, we'll come back and disciple these people. And they started coming back and they started a church there. Now there's several other churches that have been started out of that church from that little place. And that's what it's all about. People that have never heard about Jesus. People that are lost and dying in sin. People that are hurting destroyed, depressed, beaten down, that have no hope, having hope in Jesus Christ. That's what missions is all about. Are you sure that you're saved? If you don't know that tonight, why don't you come and accept Jesus Christ? You say, well, Brother Marshall, I'm, I'm just embarrassed. Hey, listen, just step out. It'll be the greatest thing you ever did. Everyone in this room tonight will rejoice with you and they'll love on you and they'll be glad that you did that tonight. If you've never accepted Christ, do that tonight. Don't put it off. Hey, make sure your family's saved. Are you praying for your family? Are you doing what you can to reach your family with the gospel? Why don't you come tonight kneel at this altar and pour your heart out to God. Lord, save my family. Help me do what I can do to reach my family with the gospel. Make sure your neighbor's saved. What are you doing to reach those who live around you, those you work with, those you come in contact with, your schoolmates, your, your uh, classmates? Who, who are you trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are you doing? You can reach them if you want to, and then do what you can to send the gospel around the world through prayer, through giving, and through telling others about Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.